and uh, we continue on through our study in Luke. As we go through books of the Bible, we cover many different topics and doctrines. Expository preaching, although it is not necessarily topical preaching, will invariably feature many different topics and uh, doctrines, even in a short little text. But week after week, we get particular doctrines. And it's really interesting to see what you know the next one uh, is. And really, you don't have to force those uh, particular doctrines or topics because they are right there in the text. They're there and they come out and then they speak to us. I'll use an example. Let's say the last two weeks of messages. One goes back to um, the Good Samaritan. Everybody knows the Good Samaritan, right? Of course, there that was a good topic dealing with serving, right? He served the man as the other two religious people didn't. So the Samaritan did that, made sure that everything was taken care of. That was serving. Last week we looked at Martha and Mary. Mary was the one who was worshiping at the feet of Jesus, listening to His words. And so the focus was on worship. Serving. Worship. And we pointed out last week, the most important thing, obviously, is what? Worship. Because everything else spins off of that. And as we go into this week, and I think it's rather incredible, is that it's now dealing with prayer. After we have talked about serving and worship, now we have prayer. Do you think Jesus is teaching us something? Do we have something here that is something for us to learn? Well, of course, but every time we open up the Bible, God is teaching us something. This time, Jesus is teaching us prayer, how to pray. So all three of these studies that we are in in the last three weeks here as we continue on today are what are the activities that a Christian is involved with. Worship, service, prayer. So important in the Christian life, isn't it? So it's no accident at all that these topics are arranged in this manner. Isn't that pretty incredible? God is the one who arranges the Bible, isn't He? Of course, Luke wrote this, but he wrote it by the Holy Spirit. And what you get as you go through the Bible, through books of the Bible, verse by verse, you actually get the whole counsel of God. We have been on one doctrine after another doctrine. Uh, What must I do to inherit eternal life was a question uh, to Jesus. And then we had seen the doctrine of election in chapter 10. We saw the cost of discipleship, what it means to be a disciple. And then what true greatness is. It's humility. The miracles of Jesus, one after another, we have seen His power and His might. We've seen Him teaching on the kingdom life, fasting and temptation, the incarnation of Christ. If we go all the way back to the first part of Luke, we also see the validity of the Scriptures as Luke told how he got this information. So you even have apologetics there. We have a lot of apologetics. We've seen through the prophecies how the truth of the Word of God in the New Testament comes together. 
So it's an information here that Luke has gathered to write this book. And so as we go and walk through the book of Luke, who knows how many doctrines we get. If we didn't do it that way, and you just had Dennis up here choosing from week to week what he's going to cover next week, do you think that we would be getting the doctrine that we so much need? I would be favoring the things that I would want to talk about. And I wouldn't be talking about the things that I wouldn't ordinarily want to talk about. But we're forced to when we do it this way, and I am glad. Because we get a lot of truth here in just one chapter, let alone the rest of the book, right? Today we look at prayer, one of the most important elements of the Christian life as we commune with God. Disciples need to learn how to pray. They'd seen Jesus do it, they'd heard Him. But they wanted to learn how to do it. Disciples who followed teachers, rabbis, would always do what their master would do. And of course, they would have a way to pray. John the Baptist had a way that he prayed. And his followers did that way. So they knew that. And so one of them asked, and probably all wanted to know, how how do we pray? Can you show us how to do this? And of course, Jesus does not refrain from answering that question, does He? If you uh, like the pattern for prayer, the Master's blueprint, the necessary ingredients, it's because you belong to the Lord. God knows what we need. And we always have to remember that. He already knows it. So Lord, teach us how we ought to pray. Right? These are the things that you need to pray for, Jesus is saying. Here we have, in the very words of the Lord Jesus, as He spoke here, He gave the order, uh, the God-given order for how prayers to be set up. Of course, we're not talking like a word-for-word thing. that you, All this has to be memorized, although it is a good thing, and it's a great outline. It's a great pattern to follow when you pray, but you don't have to say the exact words that are there. Uh, And you can if you want. It's okay, but make sure you know what you're saying when you say it, not just repetition, right? It's been known as the Lord's Prayer, but really, to be more accurate, it probably should be called the Disciples' Prayer. Even though the, the Lord gives this model outline, it's like, here's how you ought to pray. And so a lot of them call that the disciples' prayer. He says, pray after this manner, as a pattern. It's a very helpful tool in our praying. Sometimes we get stuck in ruts in praying. And we start praying about ourselves and you know all the things we're going through. And we forget the very first thing that's involved in prayer. And we'll, we'll focus on that. Uh, this can be a really helpful tool because sometimes when you say, I don't know what to pray for. I'm just, I'm prayed out. All you have to do is say, hey, some of you guys want to say this along with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We'll stop there have the rest of it as we go. But those right there, just those lines, you can 
kind of fatten out. Lengthen them out and think on it as you think of our Father, right? And we're going to do that as we look at it today. Uh, Like I say, it's kind of like a skeleton outline to help us in our prayer life, which needs to be improving. And I believe that any more than anything is the will of God for us. More than anything that we need is what? The will of God for us. Not our will, but Your will, His will, right? So let's look at these ingredients of prayer and let's communicate with our Father here today and how we're to do that. Let's stand. Let's go to the Word of God and look chapter 11 and we have the first four verses there that is our message today it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place after he had finished one of his disciples said to him Lord teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples and he said to them when you pray say Father, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Let's pray. Father, may these words that we look at, the very teaching of Jesus, help us in one of the most important things that we can be involved with, and really, ultimately, it's really finding out about what Your will is for us. Not telling you things, but listening to You and knowing what Your Word says to pray the things of the Bible, the things that we know to be truth to You as You've given us this model. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Well, as we uh, just read that in chapter 11, you say, say, that was awful short. That was really brief. What happened to the rest of it? Well, we are in Luke. In Matthew 6, which is the Sermon on the Mount, you will see this one called the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, and it's longer. It has more words to it. There's more to it. And we're going to try to get most of that in on this text here. So they correlate together. Matthew 6 and our Luke 11 here. So it happened that while Jesus is praying, as He does so frequently, right? He's in a certain place, a quiet place. After He finished, one of the disciples said to Him, they'd seen Him, they'd seen Him pray many times. They'd heard Him pray many times. And He's going, oh man, if I could only pray the way that you pray, could you teach us? This is the master of prayer. Jesus is, isn't He? Who better to learn from? They have the resident teacher right there with them. So, it starts off as we move into verse 2. We're already through one. This is four short verses. Dennis, you're going to get through this quickly. No. Our praying, first of all, is you've got on there adoration. That's where prayer starts with. If we want to use a little bit of theology there, adoration, it's God-centered. The reason that we exist is to be God-centered. Everything in our lives is to be focused on what? 
on Him, on God, coming in prayer with God on our minds as we come in prayer. It's not coming about our particular worries and anxieties. We don't start with that. Are we to bring those? Yes. He says, bring them to Him. But what do we start with? If we start with anything else, what's going on? We have our minds focused on who? Ourselves. Are we listening? Are we listening to God's Word here today? Are we listening? God-centered. That is so easy to remember, but so easy to what? Forget. God-centered. No matter what's bothering me, where do I go? I go and have thoughts of God. The first part of the prayer is Godward. The second part of the prayer is manward. Myself and others. It's involving God, others, me. That's how prayer takes everything in. It's all dealing with the relationship. And of course, that's the first thing that we start when we deal with adoration, adoring God. It's having a relationship with the Father. You cannot talk to somebody without having some kind of relationship, right? And that's what this is. Now, we need to notice that Jesus uses the word when you, you know, it's like our Father in, in, in uh, Matthew, in that uh, other section that's dealing with his prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father. What's the first word? Our. Now, there's no singular pronouns in this prayer. If you think about it, it's it's plural. Our Father. Uh, also, you will see us. You will see we. You know, give us this day our daily daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive. So it is plurality that's involved. That brings in the whole body of Christ. It's a family. Have you thought of it that we're family here? We are family. Family is important, isn't it? Anyway, it's a worldwide family of believers as you extend on out to the rest of the body of Christ. So our, for that means that all Christians know, all true Christians know that God is their Father. Now, there's a general sense where... You know, he could be called father by all other religions and other people who are not Christians. Uh, That's just a general sense in that he gave them life, he created them, still provides for them, right? But there's a different relationship between those who believe and those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. Of course, Jesus Christ is the only way. All other beliefs are what? are wrong. Now that's pretty bold to say that, isn't it? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. It's very narrow, isn't it? Narrow is the way. So, uh, this Father idea that we would see in Acts 17, for instance. Acts 17, verse 26. How about when you get all religions and they're all praying? Who are they praying to? If it's not Christians and praying to the one true Father, who are other religions praying to? Well, it's not to the Father because they don't have a relationship. 
with the Father, do they? But in Acts 17.26, what do we have here? And He made from one man, that's Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, though it is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are His children. So somebody could say that, well, yeah, everybody is from the Father you know, in a very general sense, but not the way that is meant in the biblical way here and in this prayer that we're talking about. Only Christians, only those who believe in Jesus Christ can pray to the Father. So a Muslim or a Hindu, whatever their prayers are, it's absolutely useless. We only can pray in the name of Christ and under this one Father. So that is the idea. God gives life to everyone, but He gives new life to His people, to His children, and they call Him Father. The norm is to address God the Father through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Does that mean we can't pray to Jesus? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean we can't pray to the Holy Spirit? No. But the general, normal way is that we not only can pray to every person in the Trinity, because they're each one persons, three persons in the Trinity. But, you know, as we focus upon the Father here, our Father, it starts raising our affections confidence in who God is. Uh, the effectiveness of the way that we prayer, uh, have prayer. When we say the Father, when we really think about this Father, raises our affections. Isn't that what we want to do from day to day, week to week? Don't you guys want your affections raised another level? Amen. In the kingdom of God? In your relationship with Christ? Isn't that what we're all after? That's what I prayed for today, that each one of you would raise your affections up one more level. And the next week, another level. Right? Each and every day. He's a divine being. He's God. He has His best interest for us. He has His best interest in His heart. You ever thought of it that way? God wants the very best for each one of you. A lot of times we don't know what the best is, do we? But He does. That's why we want to tap in. When we pray, tap into the Father because we want to know His will. And we don't want to go in there saying, hey, here's my will, Father, and here's what I want you to do. Do we do that? Pretty well. And we've just missed the whole focus of where it all starts. Our Father. It's about Him, isn't it? It's about His will. It's about His glory. Do you remember when Jesus said, I ascend to My Father and Your Father. And to Your God and My God. Jesus actually said that. He's our Father by regeneration. If you're a Christian, you were regenerated. You were brought back to life from the dead. Regenerated. Peter tells us in 2 Peter that when 
We were born again of the Spirit of God. We are made partakers of the divine nature. You are related to your father and your mother. You were born from that family, weren't you? You took on their nature. You took on not only human nature, but a lot of traits of your mother and father. Well, we take on the traits of the divine being, God Himself. The very divine nature. We're not God. We're not little gods. But we take on the divine nature in that we are in the family of God. Our Father. Does that really have a lot of meaning to you? Some of you could probably say, yeah, but you don't know my dad. And it's hard to relate to the Father when my Father never was there. Or He never cared for me. Or all He did was beat me up. Man, I hear that story one after another after another. And I don't know whether it's the times we live in or it's times it's going back 30, 40 years ago, 50. You know what? I thought it was really bad now that the stories that I hear, and I think it is escalating. And I feel for that generation. But you know what? I've come to find out this is kind of a norm that goes way back, much further than whenever I was born. I find out they have all sorts of problems in families. It just goes on and on and on and on. Sometimes it's, it's the father. In much of the case, it, that's the problem. The dad. Today, dads just aren't there. I mean, literally, are not there. They make a life and they're gone. But the thing is, even if you don't have a dad, or a dad that's hard to relate to, or you do have a dad, and one who you can really relate to, the thing is, and he kind of gives an example. I'm thankful for my dad that I had. He gave me a great example. I learned a lot. Things from my dad is very much filled with wisdom. And of course, he was a believer. I was very blessed. I didn't choose the family that I came into. Nobody did here. You didn't choose the country that you came from. You don't even choose how you're going to die. God is in control. And I am thankful for the family that I came through because I was taught the things of God. And even though I rebelled against that in my day, and I had my will, and I had my will what I wanted to do, Want to be the best musician in the world. It took me a few years to figure out that is not going to happen. But boy, I sure forced it, and that's what I wanted, that's what I drove, and I didn't care about anybody else. And I was after that. And then the Lord came in, gave me the Word of God, and slowly but surely started peeling back all the selfishness that I had. I'm, he's still working on me on that. But I can say I'm glad He took that desire away and showed me what is truth and what really matters because all that other stuff means nothing. Absolutely nothing to eternal life. And it was the Lord that woke me up out of, out of that. And I thank the Father. Now, to the Jew, if you were to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, Our Father, Mostly to the Jews, it's like, whoa, what did you say? I mean, that was really a no-no. 
You, you don't call God Father. Here the disciples, they're Jewish. They grew up not ever calling Him Father. That's the first thing that Jesus teaches. Our Father. Oh, great it is. We, this is the true Father. No matter what about our earthly fathers, here's the true Father. Unheard of. Why? Well, you see, they were so holy. And God was so holy. And God is so holy. They were not holy. They thought they were. He's so awesome that they would dare not, I guess you could say, have such a close communion with Him. They used to call Him Father. They never even uttered the name of God, which really is Yahweh, as it's supposed to be pronounced in the Hebrew, or Jehovah. Hebrew would probably be, it's probably Yahweh, but they never said it. Because God is so transcendent that we can't even say His name. So they never said His name. It's too sacred. So they kept their proper distance. Uh, if you go to the temple, they would keep their distance. Of course, they were instructed to do that. If they touched any sacred objects, they would drop dead. Even the high priest who went into the Holy of Holies only once a year. If he did something wrong, he could drop dead. God is holy. They needed to, to learn, though, to approach God as being Father. Because why? It's relationship. It's the best relationship. He is kind and He is loving. And now we get a true picture of really what a father is, don't we? When we look at Father God. Did you know that we are called children of God? Here's our relationship. Children of God. Let's turn to John 1. Children of God. Not everybody is a child of God. Well, who are the ones who are children of God? But as many as received Him, that's Christ, to them, He gave the right to become children of God if to those who believe in His name. The ones who believe are the children of God. Nobody else, no other religions, nobody is a child of God unless they receive Christ. Trust in Christ. That's just the Word of God, isn't it? I didn't make it up. No evangelist made this up. It says in 13, who were born not of blood because you were Israelite or Jewish or American. You were born not of the will of the flesh that your own free will can choose God. You were not born that way to come into the family of God wasn't your will because your will was to continue to rebel against the holy God nor the will of man right free will to choose God no free will to continue in your wicked sin against a holy God that's what one would continue to do until he comes in and breaks our will and we seek his will he's holy but it's of God it is God who brings us into the family of God. 
He gives us the faith. He gives us the repentance. He brings us in. What a father, right? Children of God. Look in Psalm 89.26. What does a psalmist say here? Psalmist is David. He's writing about the covenant that God has given to him. In 89.26, God says this. He, he will cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. That's what David did. He cried to God. And he said, You are my Father. This is in the Hebrew Bible. Why didn't they call God Father? It's in their Scriptures. My Father, my God. He's the rock of my salvation. Continue on. Look at Isaiah 63, 16. Children of God. I like that. You guys like that? Even if we had the worst parents in the world, we still have a family that loves us. It's a family of God. God, Father. Isaiah 63, 16. For you are our Father. Though Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not recognize us, you, O Lord, are our Father. God is Father. Jeremiah 31.9 Our Father who art in heaven, right? Jeremiah 31.9 With weeping they will come and by supplication I will lead them, I will make them walk by streams of waters on a straight path in which they will not stumble. For I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. This is the nation of Israel. These are the Jews. I'm a father to them. How did they not get this? Look in Ephesians 2.18. New Testament time. We're looking at our Father. I guess the pace of this verse by verse thing here today is slowed down a little. <laughs> Ephesians 2.18 For through Him we both have our access in one Spirit to the Father. Who's both? Would be the <coughs> Jews, Israel, and the Gentiles who have come to Christ. The Jews the ones who have come to Christ. We're talking about Christians. They have become one. They're one body. We have our access in one Spirit to the Father. You can go straight to the throne room. You like that? Amen. We talk about that constantly. Going to the throne room of God. And He wants us to come in as often as we want. That's what He wants. It's His desire. What are some things about the Father? And I'll go through these very quickly. Our Father is perfect in every way. He is the most loving of all. 
was the whole triune God. He honors His children. He makes us heirs with Christ. Heirs? What does Christ own? Everything. We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ, who is the only Son of God, but because He adopted us, we are put into the family and given the same access and privileges the Son has. And we wait to see this inheritance one day in the future. And He trains us. He trains us right now. He disciplines us. Hebrews 12.7 talks about a true father will discipline or train his children. If he doesn't love them, he'll just let them do whatever they want. Right? Go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. The world says, just let them believe whatever they want to believe and do whatever they want. Don't ever train them right. It is for discipline, training, that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had early fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. That's why He's disciplining us. So that we would become holy. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. That's right. But sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You like that? That is dear. Okay, our Father. We talked about relationship here. So when you pray, when you start off with our Father, just think of that for a moment, what that means. In heaven, we're creatures of dust. We don't look like dust. But as we get older, we start to look more like it. Sudden skin starts falling off. They start breaking down. Going back to dust. It should fill us with awe as we think about our Father who art in heaven. God is everywhere. He's not just bound by this place called heaven. He can be everywhere at all times. He's omnipresent. That is an attribute of God, isn't it? God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But yet there's an abode that we think of where God is. You know, at one time there was a temple here and there was a the Holy of Holies and that was supposed to be the place where God's uh, dwelling place was at. Representing heaven. Of course, He was still everywhere. But it's the place of God's presence in a special sense. It's where God has prepared the throne. For one thing, it's a throne for judgment. 
but it's also the throne of grace. If you're a Christian, you experience grace every day. God is there. The Lord is there. Oh, Trinity there is there. Our names are there. Our life really is there. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our future inheritance is there. And our heart ought to be there right now. Our heart for heaven. Our Father who art in heaven. Or on the earth. Earthly. He's heavenly. What a special place He is. Hallowed be Thy name. Now that now we get into reverence. We have been looking at what would be relationship. We now go to reverence on this first part of the prayer. Hallowed. What's hallowed? Uh, sounds like Halloween. Hallowed. It means to actually to be holy. To be separate. To be transcendent. So set apart. Set apart from a thing from the common. The common things to the sacred. Matter of fact, if you live a holy life, things that are sacred really are all things around us. If we would see that this is of God, the things that are right and true, that we use them for God's will, for His sake, for His glory, right? Look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, day and night, they don't stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. That takes care of all, doesn't it? That's a holy God. There's a triune God, a trinity God. Here's holy, holy, holy. In a triune way. Holy is God. You know, the thing is that we forget about His holiness. A lot of Christians today would see Him as the good buddy in the sky. That's not a holy way of looking at God. People today do not worry about His consuming holiness, His blinding splendor that He has. We don't fear God the way that we need to be fearing Him in the biblical way, reverencing Him. We can be so casual about the Holy One. We just talked about the Father, and now all of a sudden we're talking about holiness. Dennis, man... It's always sounding so good. (coughs) He's holy. We are to respect His authority. Get it into our heads that He's a God that is awesome. That word is used so loosely today, but in the biblical manner, we should be in just awe of this God. And that takes in reverence, fear, a relationship with God. All of that. It is blended together. Yeah, He's Father, but remember that He is Father God who is holy and awesome. That's the right proper use of that word, isn't it? 
a living and true God is to be treated as holy and exalted. That's what we are to do here when we come here. It's what we are to do when we leave here. All day long, all week long, He's hallowed. Hallowed be Your name. Name. What, God? Yeah, Yeah, well, that's addressing God. You know, here's God, but it's not only how to address His name, God, in that sense, but it's dealing with the whole person. When you see the name of God, and you'll see it repeatedly throughout Scriptures, it means the whole person of God. How about this? All of His attributes. His name means that He's omnipresent. That He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. That He is love. He is grace. He is mercy. Uh, He is a God that judges. All of those deal with His name. We praise His name. It is the person of God in His wholeness. People today, constantly, if you're around any unbelievers and that's part of living in the world, isn't it? As a matter of fact, don't get away from unbelievers because how are we going to lead people to the Lord if they're not if they're <clears throat> if they're all saved? That's not to do the things that they do and just hang out with them, but it's ultimately to get them the good news, right? But people often use God's holy name as a swear word. I'm hearing it more and more. Just on regular TV, there was a time when you'd never hear somebody say, and and be careful, this you know whenever I say this, but oh God, you know, oh God, and they're not talking about you know the one true God. Matter of fact, they might even say they're atheists and and use the name God all the time, you know, oh my God, you know, OMG, you know what that is? That's taking God's name, all that He is. And it's putting it on the same level as human excrement. This is horrible. And it's used so loosely today. You know, you know, of course you hear the two words together, God and what have you. There's there's no fear of God before their eyes, it says in Romans three eighteen. Hallowed and seeing him how it begins in a, in our hearts. And and that's submitting every thought to this God who is holy Lord. Everything that we say, everything that we do, and everything that we put on social networks should be something that's dealing with holy. And that's not necessarily always saying something about God. I'm not even saying that. But I'm just saying, if all things to you are now made holy, then you're going to do things that are consistent with God's holiness, right? You're going to say things that are consistent with God's holiness. You're not going to speak like the world. You're not going to use language like the world. You're not going to take God's name in vain. That's a commandment right off the bat. We have to take the Holy God into account. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is Your name. I want to live like that and speak like that. About His name. Let's look in Psalm 115, verse 1. I love this psalm here. And a lot of you go, oh yeah, of course, this is great. This is a great verse for this. 
lot of verses deal with the name of God. But here's what it's about, folks. Psalm 115.1. You ready? This is, this is what our life is about. Not to us, O Lord, O Yahweh. Not to us, but to Your name. There's the name. Everything about Him. Give glory. Because of Your loving kindness. Because of Your truth. Not to us. Not to us, O Lord. No glory to us. But to Your name we give glory. Did you like that one? Turn back a little bit to Psalm 96, verse 8. 96, 8. About the name. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name. Everything about Him, His whole person. Ascribe to the Lord the glory. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Everything about it. Worship Him. Tremble before Him all the earth. Go back to Psalm 5.11. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Who's that? Who takes refuge in Him? All of us. All believers. Let them ever sing for joy. You guys like that? And may you shelter them for those who love your name may exult in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor, grace, mercy, as with a shield. Great promises there. So His name. Be to Your name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Does that help when we start a prayer? Maybe sometime during the day, sometime tonight, you think, man, I need to pray, but I don't know what to pray. Our Father. Think about the goodness of our Father. All the way on down. Thy kingdom come... Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I ask you, is God's will being done on earth? It's a trick question. I'm not so sure which one is tricked. Um, Actually, in one way, His will is still being done. I mean, everything in heaven is always perfect. The angels have never sinned. There's no sin going on. Here on the earth, there is constant sin. That's what it's all about, right? So no, His will is not being done here on earth, but yet God is in control and He he will make sure that is all righted. But at the same time... Our desire. This is God's will. that, And it will happen. When God has a will, what does it mean? It means it's going to happen. So when you pray this prayer, did you know you'll get, you'll get answered every time? every time? Every time you pray Scripture and you know it's God's will, did you know you will always get an answer and say, I think I'll start walking that way because you know what? Everything else I've been praying for, I've not gotten answers. Well, He always answers. It just may not be what you were after. Or He's just making you wait, right? Sometimes His answer is no. 
And often it can be that way. But if we pray what we know to be His will, if we start off with that, that's what's in the Scripture, I can guarantee you, wow, I've got a good start here. <laughs> wow, it's like 10 out of 10. If you pray this, this is right, it's true, God's will is going to, to happen. He has a purpose. Our focus in prayer is never about our needs. We have that coming up, but rather it's about the, the Father's glory. It's about His purpose. It's about His will. That's the main purpose of everything, right? If we keep that in mind when we go in prayer, prayer isn't to get our will done. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. To get it done here on even earth. So our Prayer should begin by focusing on two aspects of God's glory. That His name be hallowed and that His kingdom come. That's what this is about. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9. Now all of you that are part of the Tuesday night Bible study, this is where we're headed. By the way, I invite you because we are coming down to the very last chapter of Zechariah and I want to tell you, one of the most exciting passages in all of the Bible. It is truly awesome and it's pointing to the kingdom come. It's pointing to the millennial kingdom. What all is going to happen there? What happens just before that? We're talking about the very return of Christ that we're going to get into this week. Christ coming back with His angels. Don't stop there. Not only Christ coming back and all of His splendor and glory and majesty and all the splendor and glory that He puts on the angels, but there's His church coming back with Him and all the enemies of God have been all gathered together against the nation of Israel and ready to finish them off and ready to finish themselves off too. And that's basically what they're going to do. And they look up and they see Christ. And a lot of them are going to be running for the hills, hiding themselves under rocks and caves. The saints are going to be with Christ coming back. That's us. Amen. If you're a Christian, you're going to be coming back. You're not going to be looking up there like this. You're going to be already coming back. And we'll look at those Scriptures as, as we check and see. Let me tell you, it, you want to talk about a high? This is a high. Ultimate high. It's the last chapter of Zechariah. It's the one I've used so often for the ones who do not believe in the kingdom, millennial kingdom, because it talks about feast there and uh, a time that hasn't. It talks about when Christ comes back to the Mount of Olives, folks. This is why I say exciting. If you only want to come, uh, this will probably last more than one week this time. But if you want to come, I invite you because it is really exciting. This is our future, folks. This is what we're looking to. This is what we're glorying in. And I am delighted to be a part of that. It's been a great, great book at Zechariah. Now this this kingdom, you know, it uh, it's about God ruling His own... By the way, I didn't read that verse, did I? 14.9 <laughs> 
and the Lord, that's Yahweh, will be king over all the earth. The earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one. No other false religions. There's only one. It's Christ and relating with Him. And His name. Remember, we've been talking about His name. All about Him. The only one. Christianity is very bold, isn't it? To be the only right way. That's true. It's the only way. Very narrow. That's not popular today, is it? And now a lot of Christians are backing off and saying, yeah, well, you know, even though they're they're Indian, they're, they do Hinduism, and, you know, we're all on the right road. And then I have to say, ooh. In my mind, I'm saying, you're not a Christian because you don't believe Jesus. Jesus made it very clear. I am the only way. I am it. I'm the truth. I am life. The only way you're going to get to the Father is through me. That's narrow. And it's the only way. I'm glad there's an only way because everything else is confusing out there. Because none of them agree on anything. But Scripture is always in agreement with itself, with God. So, God ruling on earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. By the way, there will still be some sin in the kingdom. And that won't be amongst people who are glorified. What? Yeah, there will be some. I'll I'll explain that later, but Tuesday. (laughs) On earth is it? You know what? As soon as there is sin, you know what God's going to do it? Do He? Revelation says He's going to rule with a rod of iron. That means as soon as sin pops up, boom, it's out. Did you know He's going to be using us as judges there? Anytime that we see sin, Christ will take care of it. It will be stamped out. There will not be any rebellion until the very end of it. Then everything will be rolled up and everything burned up and we have new heavens and new earth completely. How about Jerusalem being lifted up high and the rest of the land just leveled to a level and there is a golden diamond city that's just where the king lives. He reigns. He rules. But there's an inner spiritual kingdom that we have now too. A lot of people say, well, the kingdom means that we have Christ in our hearts. And I don't rule that out. The kingdom now, but the kingdom in the future too. Uh, it's, I can't pray until I first yield my own stubborn self-will to the Lord. Right? It's His will. I submit my heart to Him. That's a battle that I have. A struggle. And I continue to need to submit my stubborn will to His will. Thy kingdom come. Even in my heart. Right? The spread of the Gospel. That is what will change things. So the first focus is dealing with the Father's purpose for His name to be hallowed and His kingdom to come. And only after this are we permitted now to focus on our needs? Now, we're going to cover this rather rapidly because I wanted to spend our time basically on where everything starts because when we have prayer, usually we pray for whoever is struggling with a lot of different things and can be for other people. 
And yes, we are to pray for them, but where does it start? Where does it always start? We've just looked at that. Now we go to petition. God provides. Give us each day our daily bread. Give us. All of us. We pray for others, not just ourselves. Each day our daily bread. Do you see how family comes into this? How often we think we are our own. We're not. We belong to God. We belong to each other. We are family. More family than blood. There's a link between the two sections of this prayer. Our prayers for our needs. For provisions, for pardon, and for protection from sin. So that we would accomplish the Father's purpose. That's really what we've been after, right? We want His will. But we have to have physical things and other things to help us get through in this life. We don't trust in our own resources Matter of fact, and if we do, we probably have a lot of food that's put in the pantry and it could be packed for maybe the next couple of weeks, next couple of months. But and you say, well, I have money. I can go out and get stuff anytime I want. You know what? Easily true, isn't it? But it could be taken away in a moment. Just like that. We have plenty, don't we? But where did it all come from? What? The grocery store. <laughs> you all know where that goes, don't you? Keep breaking down the chain. <laughs> the truck drivers, Penny, you remember praying with the boys every day? <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for the, the grocery stores, for the truck truckers, the the farmers, all the way and then it finally gets to you know, the seed, the rain, the sun. It's uh, it's all God, isn't it? We're dependent on God. We ask God for provision not because we can be just happy, but that we can seek first His kingdom. Seek ye first His kingdom. The kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. It's like manna in the wilderness in the Old Testament. Remember that? Moses and children of Israel. Uh, the daily bread that they actually got or the daily manna. It's... It's not about our wants. It's about our needs. Daily bread. Our needs. We have a Heavenly Father that would, that will give it to us. Parents, does it matter to you if your child is fed? Of course. Well, does God ever make you starve? I don't think anybody here is starving. I really don't think so. It does matter to God, doesn't it? That's provision. All the things that we need, it matters to God. How about pardon? Well, just as bread is our basic need for our bodies, pardon is our basic need for our souls, for salvation, everyday living, sanctification. We need daily to apply the blood of Christ to our hearts, don't we? We need pardon and forgiveness. It's a one-time thing at the cross, but yet it's an ongoing thing in our daily lives. How do we enjoy a close relationship? If I'm wrong, if I've sinned, what am I supposed to do? 1 John 1.9, confess it. Right? 
Ask Him to forgive us. We can drift in our relationship with the Heavenly Father. We can become not sensitive to our sin, but He wants us to come asking forgiveness. See, we always have fellowship with God, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit. But have you noticed that the relationship is teetering? It's not that we'll ever lose it, but that that strong bind has to be taken care of and forgiveness has to be sought out. Jesus ties in our forgiveness before God with our forgiving those who have wronged us. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So if He forgives us, what do we have to do? Forgive others. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves have been offended. And what are we to do? Forgive. Matter of fact, in Matthew it says, if you don't forgive, then I won't forgive you. Does that mean you lose your salvation? Well, I think what it means is that you never had salvation. If you don't have a love for your brother, 1 John says you're not a believer. If you don't have forgiveness for others, then you're not a believer. Black and white, even though Christians can hold something within them, and all it does, it hurts them, it hurts the other people. But if at all possible you can have peace with others, you go to them. You ask forgiveness or you forgive them, right? We who are sinful can forgive others. If that be the case, then we we know that God who is perfect, He has forgiven us. That's what makes us be able to have access to to God, doesn't it? Father, forgive my sins. But if I forgive, don't do not forgive somebody else. How can He forgive our sins? If you're bitter, you can't pray rightly till you choose to forgive. I will forgive. I'm not going to stay bitter. We go into the preservation. Lead us not into temptation. It's a, that's a tough one. Lead us not into temptation because in James 1.13 and 14 it tells us that God does not tempt anyone. Do you believe that? Of course. Well, don't lead us into that. Why is He saying don't lead us into that when it already says that He cannot tempt us? It says in James 1.2 to count it all joy when we encounter various trials. Why would Jesus tell us to pray that God would not do what He cannot do? The sense of trials is why should we pray that would that God would spare us from that which is for our good? He gives us these trials for what? For good. But He never tempts us to sin. And we're not to be praying in the sense out of you know to get out of a testing, so we can have an easy ride. That's the easy way out, isn't it? We could do that. And we do do it. <coughs> so what does this mean? Lead us not into temptation. Keep us from the evil one. It's acknowledging our weakness, the sinfulness of our hearts. We're admitting that God could withdraw His gracious hand. 
But the believers, He doesn't do that. His grace is always there. But He's bringing these requests with scriptural arguments before God in order to encourage God to answer the appeal. Lord, keep this trial from being a temptation. Now, is that saying something? Okay, Lord, I know I've given a trial and ultimately You want this for me because it's going to make me holy. I don't like this trial, but Lord, I'll be glad when it's over. But at the same time, oh Lord, don't let it turn into a temptation. Keep me from being tempted and then falling into sin. Lord, I do not want to sin. Lord, if the occasion of sinning presents itself, grant that the desire may not be found in me. That that desire that I usually have, Lord, please, help me go through this. And He says, I'll help you. Run. <laughs> Just get out of there. Flee. What did Timothy say? Or, uh, Paul to Timothy. Flee from youthful lust. If that is a temptation and you succumb to it or you know you can, get out of there, do whatever it takes, but do not sin. So he will answer the prayer. He says, okay, here's what you do. Get away from it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 Then you know that that's God's will. So I didn't want God's will in that way. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond or tested beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. You can go through this. God will provide that. If you really mean it, He will keep you from succumbing to that. And so we close it up here, and it's not found in our Luke passage here in in 11, but in Matthew 6. Here's how we close. And it's just about the way it was when we started. For yours, everybody say this, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Close us up with, He's telling us prayer and praise all go together. Using God's attributes, God's person, uh, enforcing His petition, He comes to God, He presents to Him that He's a loving God. And He says, God, I know that You want to answer. You are goodness, You are mercy. Amen. You know what amen is? It shall be so. So be it. That's what we need to pray. What a prayer. A personal relationship with God, with other believers, we're to exercise faith, we're to worship God, be expectant of that second coming, we're to be submissive to His will, we're to bring Him petitions and confession, we're to dwell upon Him and His compassion. We are to show dependence and we're to acknowledge His greatness and He knows everything that you and I need. He knows everything that we need. Do we? No. Prayer, adoration, thanksgiving, confession, petition. 
These are the kind of ingredients that go in prayer. What's the purpose of it all? To glorify God's name. To accomplish God's will here on earth. It's about His kingdom and His will. It begins with God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. This is the disciples' prayer. It's our prayer. And you can only pray this prayer if you're His disciple. Let's pray. Our Father, You are holy, transcendent, but yet You condescended to come to us. And You made us a way into the very throne room of grace. The throne room of God. Lord, this is a holy Word that You have given us. Help us better to be able to pray and to be able to pray Your will. Not unto us, but to You. All the glory. In Your Son's name, Amen. Wow, it has been a privilege to be here today. It's uh, definitely time to eat. I have been smelling all this good food come out of the kitchen. And uh, Cassandra, good, good to have you. And who is our lovely lady back there? Lulu. Lulu. Great to have you guys. And, oh, she's got a butterfly there. And, you, know, you know, a butterfly really represents new life. It's great. All <laughs> right. New, new, new life. <laughs> yeah, by the way, a lot of food back there. So even if you didn't have it, uh, maybe here didn't have a chance or whatever, feel free to just get whatever you want. And uh, we also have uh, another guest here. And. Um, I'm grasping, trying to grasp the name here. Hang on. I about have it. Anybody want to give me a hint? I knew it a while ago. I just got a hint. Carmen. Absolutely. Carmen, glad to have you back here with us. Appreciate that. We've been blessed. Thank you guys for, for coming. Enjoyed it. Dismissed for food. Yeah, there's one. You know that one? Yeah, I've heard it. How do you know that? I think I've heard it in some movies or something. You know all those old songs.